Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with Your Next Dublin. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. We're not in studio this week during the lockdown. Instead, we're recording this remotely, but we still have some great content. My guest today is Danny McCoy, Chief Executive of Employers Lobby Group, IBEC. Danny, you're very welcome to Inside Business. Thanks very much, Kieran. Just tell us a little bit about the scale of the, the lockdown restrictions and the impact it's having on your members, because you've got members right across the country uh, in all sectors of the economy. Yeah, as you say, IBEC is uh, by far the the largest business representative organisation in the country, but we're one of the biggest in Europe as well. And so partly what we're observing here is Ireland as a global hub. You see that in pharmaceuticals and med tech in particular, but also in the exporting sectors like food and drink. So you've got a global story taking place here as well, along with the domestic economy, you know, security, hospitality and the drinks industry in terms of the pubs, are, are you know, 100% shut. But then even within food, we're seeing the supermarkets are really busy and then other non-essential retail also closed. So it's it's very like a cure its egg. Um, there's different stories and parts. Then you're really in the services side, I think a lot of people are capable of going to a remote working model. That seems to be working very well. The utilities have, have really stood the test, I think, here. We've seen very strong telecommunications infrastructure in the main. Obviously, the broadband and the rural broadband issues are spectacularly uh, tested now, and we see a lot of people will be struggling with that, I'm sure. But in terms of the coverage and the adequacy, we seem to be good on the water, electricity, postal services. So utilities, positive at this point. That makes it a lot more possible to have the social distancing and putting people uh, out of the workforce. The essential services list too, in terms of the government, they've kept that rather up to the uh, boardroom to decide. The real pressure comes from the kitchen table, you know, in terms of people going out to work when the message from the government is stay indoors, but there are essential businesses that need to operate. And it's not always clear who's needed in that supply chain, you know, that you see that, you know, something like wooden pallets, you need the wooden pallets to be produced in order to be able to ship the very necessary pharmaceutical or medical devices uh, around the world and for us to receive them. So it's a complex story. Yeah, it is. What about the package of government supports that have been put in place to date, Danny? Um, do you support those? Did it go far enough? I mean, we're talking about the €350 Euro payment for people who find themselves unemployed um, and for companies, you know, the, uh, the government willing to pay up to 70% of wages. 
I think I think we they are in fairness moving in the right direction. I, I, I would categorize what the government here have done on a nexus of confidence building and then being credible. A lot of countries have gone out with a big bang packages, big confidence measures, you know, um, whatever it takes. And here's a big scale of packages, mainly ballooned in scale by promises of guaranteed loans, which require action from businesses to actually take up the loans, possibly give personal security, things that probably firms might be a bit reticent to do to take on that debt. But it sounds good as a start. Then starts to lack credibility as you're waiting for the cash as they are in other jurisdictions. I think here we've probably seen the government with the experience of the banking crisis behind them, not being a first mover, not guaranteeing right at the start, but beginning to kind of put in small stepped incremental uh, movements. And I think that's been good. I'll come back to the details on the scheme in a moment. It builds, that credibility builds up to a confidence measure. But unfortunately, we're now slap bang in this kind of interregnum between governments and a legislator that doesn't seem to be able to legislate. So some of that kind of build-up appears to me to be blocked right now till we have a government that's capable of putting in further legislation for liquidity for businesses. I think we've been quite good on the income support for the employees. It's not perfect. A lot of gaps in there, as you said, the 350 pandemic payment is a bit of a drag. It's good to keep people at home with money, but it will be a bit of a drag when you're trying to get the economy back up into recovery because a lot of people will experience an income drop uh, as a result of when we get back to normality. Danny, just uh, on the point of when the restrictions are lifted, and we might talk a little bit about uh, later about that, um, but how many businesses do you think will actually get back up and running? How many might fail? And in terms of the jobless number that's left after this um, crisis abates, what do you think that figure might look like? Well, look, in, in, in the extremist, people go out of business all the time in, in normal circumstances. So clearly there'll be a little bit of bringing forward of business failures during this crisis. So we definitely can anticipate that there will be a lot of a lot of business failure on the re-emergence. The scale of that's very hard to know. Danger is it goes up the longer the lockdown occurs. So fully anticipate that we will see quite a significant amount of business failure. The good news is, though, we should see a lot of what we had in the economy come back and come back quite strong over the summer months would be my own prediction of it. So the current unemployment rate was spectacular in terms of its scale. Uh, that We should see a fallback quite significantly, but we won't be going back to 5% unemployment, I wouldn't thought, anytime soon. So that's probably correlated to the kind of scale of business failure. But um, I think the main thing at this stage is that we have a, a plan for how to get back. The when question is really in the hands of the medics and the public health medics and when they call the time for it to be safe for re-emergence back into the economy. And of course, it won't be it won't be in one fell swoop. So I'm nearly be the last in first out here. Those who can work remotely, I don't think you're going to be back going back to their offices anytime soon. I think if you've if you've proven that you can function out of the office, I think that's probably going to be the last back. But clearly there are things that need that you can't do from home and that we will need in our society. And probably the most glaring one actually is housing. Uh, you know, it's high profile on the way into the closure because of the visible visibility of builders in close proximity, not apparently doing social distancing. Bit of a public reaction to that. But actually, it's probably one of the first things that needs to be coming back out of this because 
what we've observed as a society now that we're forced into our housing units or accommodation facilities that an awful lot of people are going to realise they're not in suitable accommodation for their lifestyle and for their life cycle. Yeah, so how, how do we tackle that? Because, I mean, really there's going to be no health sales um, for, for months, realistically, is there? Um, and a lot of the planning applications that we're seeing going through the system, um, you, you know, the funding for those applications, presumably, it's going to be on hold at, at best. I mean, you know, whether in the short to medium term that's actually going to be freed up, I, don't, I really don't know. But you have to imagine that a lot of the houses that were planned to be built, a lot of that construction work is just going to be put back. Some of it might not happen or might not happen for years. That's a possibility. And I think, but that's actually within our control, you know, as a society. And that, that's to the heart of um, getting house building back fairly quickly. You know, a lot of people might you know, have the image, is it essential? Of course, it's not essential in one week or two weeks' time, but the longer you leave it, the more there's a danger of the capital and working capital needs. Actually, you could go to other jurisdictions because other people are going to open up at different times. Some haven't fully shut down their construction, so Britain is still doing significant amount of construction at the moment. And we need to be careful we don't lose some of that timing because we clearly have a housing crisis uh, given the scale of our population. That's not that's not been solved overnight. I know people are saying social housing needs are kind of gone during this with Airbnb gone and people living in hotels. That's that's a, that's kind of the reaction to the emergency measures. We still have that structural problem in the economy. And, and to your point then about the actual transactions of sales, again, um, you know, again, that, that's really in our own hands. Um, we do need to get back to a functioning housing construction market fairly quickly because that's clearly what a rising population like we have in Ireland needs and that need hasn't gone away it's probably been more exasperated in people's minds as the desire to have better housing accommodation Sure, but if we take your point that there's going to be a lot more people unemployed coming out of this than going into it um, and that a lot of people will find their incomes reduced as well, I mean obviously that's going to play into the demand element, uh, the, the affordability of housing, so I many prices are going to have to drop, aren't they? Well, I'm sure they will in the short term because it's very hard. There's a, there's a kind of a false market out there, but there's still a fair bit of pent up demand, you know. Um, so the the unemployment numbers that I suggested is really a kind of a stickiness on the way down. It doesn't uh, doesn't mean that we're going to see a catastrophic um, wealth or income effect in the economy if we can get back to more business continuity. Let's not call it business as usual because clearly there's going to be changes in our society as a result of this kind of searing event for the globe. Things won't be the same again. They won't be fundamentally different in my own view, but this, but there will be a new adaptive learning required. Um, and some business models won't survive that and others will emerge. But to your point about will we see a catastrophic house price falls? Not necessarily. I don't think we will. I think there'll be quite a significant amount of money in the system. And what we know is when there's too much money chasing too few goods, uh, prices actually go up. Danny, just coming back to the unemployment rate, where do you think it'll land, let's say, by the end of the year, once restrictions have been lifted, some businesses are back in action? It was just under 5% coming into this crisis. Well, look, I think it would be a great achievement if the unemployment rate is back at 10% at the end of the year. Um, you know, who, who can be precise on these things? But uh, I'd, I'd be encouraged if at the end of the year, unemployment was only, in inverted commas, 
ten uh, percent. But but that's still a searing shock, you know. If if you if you got the information at the start of the year and told at the end of the year the unemployment rate had doubled, people were saying, "Wow, something really structurally and fundamental happened to that economy." But it'll be a different type of reading because we know exactly what happened in the economy. We actually deliberately made people unemployed. We could have continued to have people working as business as usual, but we'd have the horror of the fatalities that would come with the unmitigated uh, reaction to the health crisis. So we, we know we've kind of engineered the unemployment rate to go up. It's a question of how fast it's coming down. So I would see it as, again, I'm not predicting this, but I'd be hopeful that it will be 10% and falling by the end of the year. Okay, now let's maybe put some numbers around this because obviously there's going to be a big bill for the government to, to meet out of this crisis. And it's a question of how they're going to be able to do that. Um, last week, IBEC put out a paper um, suggesting that the government needed to introduce a package of emergency cash flow and liquidity measures to help businesses through this crisis. The total program, um, you were saying, of guarantees, loans, other supports would help ensure 26.4 billion of liquidity to the economy. And it would come at a cost of, I think, 5.9 billion euro for the exchequer. We're looking at a situation where the exchequer was expected to be in surplus for this year, uh, just more than two billion. But I think the deficit now is going to be in or around 19 billion. That's the that's the estimate at the minute. It could go up, or indeed it could go down. And we know that the NTMA has uh, successfully raised six billion euro already to help the state uh, fight this crisis. But whatever the bill is, it's going to be multi billions. No question uh, about that. How are we going to pay it, Danny? And is it going to require higher taxation? Well, first of all, there's a lot of elasticity um, in the in those numbers. The good news is that unlike in the financial crisis, when we were a little bit uh, not the same as everybody else, we were more in distress than other countries, particularly by 2010, um, given our, our problems. We, we really had trouble raising money. And then it was going to be expensive money at that time as well. We all remember that the cost of the bailout was quite high interest rates at the start. This time around, the interest burden on any debt is going to be incredibly low, ne ne nearly for free because it's going to be at such low rates. So it's the burden of, of the debt itself, I think, will be there for a while and it will come down. So it'll come down by how it'll come down by surpluses into the future. And where would we be confident that we generate surpluses? Well, the business model we had going into this was incredibly cash generative. You know, we were only four or five weeks ago worrying about what we're going to do with all this corporate tax money we had. So we had, you know, huge dollops of billions of euros coming our way. There's nothing to suggest that if the world gets back up and motoring that we will see an element of that liquidity that creates the conditions for the business to get back up and running, that we'll start to see a very cash-generative business model again. Nothing has actually broken our economy. This is not a war. This is not that the actual production on the machinery or equipment or the factories that are out there have been destroyed by this. None of the workforce uh, are dying at any great numbers, thankfully. Unfortunately, it's in a particular demographic, mainly in people who are no longer in the labour force. So when you look at it, there's nothing structurally broken about the economy. There is a confidence about ensuring that the measures find the right route. The, the, the main risk we have right now to our recovery is there's going to be a wall of money out there coming from the central banks. There's going to be a lot of people in need of the money. 
And the question is, are the transmission channels to get that money to the right people at the right time in the right conditions available? And that's why the package of liquidity measures have to be as large as they are to ensure you cover everybody. Yeah, sure, but uh, there is a confidence issue here. And if you take the hospitality sector, for example, um, are people going to go to pubs and restaurants and hotels in the same way um, that, that, that they did previously? Who's going to want to go to Northern Italy, for example, for a holiday? How many Americans are going to want to travel to Europe for a holiday uh, anytime soon? You know, Australia um, talking about essentially sealing itself off from the rest of the world. We, we mightn't even have the emigration um, taps to turn on that we've had in the past you know, with the UK and Australia sort of taking um, surplus labour from, from the Irish market. So, I mean, the hospitality sector is going to be absolutely hammered, isn't it? Well, well, hammered by the international phenomena you talked about there. So, for instance, uh, the capacity of societies for taking leisure and going out can be driven by an economy as rich as Ireland by if the domestic market stayed domestically, it would pump prime pretty much 70% of the uh, international piece as a for instance. So people will people will reveal their demand preferences differently, no doubt. That's what I said earlier on, behavior will change. But the actual generative capacity for the business model to create the wealth and then how it actually gets distributed out, what do people buy? I think that will be different. We see it already in terms of retail. We've seen that kind of transformation on e-commerce versus going out. There is a lot of adaptability that businesses can do here, but clearly hospitality and our pub culture and so on is going to take a lot longer to get back than some of the manufacturing businesses that will will uh, uh, thrive again. But even in something like medical technology today, just because it says it on the tin that they're in the medical space, people think they must be going like gangbusters. Um, yeah, it's patchy. If it's got to do uh, with acute hospital type production, fine. But what about elective surgeries? They're all being cancelled. They're cancelled for a whole quarter globally. You know, that's a 25% reduction in demand for med tech. So the speed at which we get back is going to be as important to trying to reach for those kind of industries that are clearly going to be distressed for longer. And I would say about hospitality and um, and people's ability to go out, I wouldn't underestimate the behavioural response here. We all kind of think it's going to be negative. It could well be expressed in, in much more positive ways that uh, different propositions from the hospitality sector may find uh, a fairly new demand form out there if, if people are nimble. But to be nimble, they have to survive. And that's why those liquidity packages from the government are just crucial. Uh, Patrick Horan, the former central bank governor, he has suggested that the state might have to take over some businesses. Is he right? Well, look, a lot of people are saying that debt can't be the whole issue here, that a lot of people will be averse to debt. So equity holdings in um, some businesses, I think, will probably be the case. You know, you, you can you can see already some big sectors like aviation may well need state equity. Uh, you may see on some critical infrastructure, Pete's is out there, might, might require it as well. Might even go as far as some of the hospitality uh, type 
in infrastructure projects that are out there that may that may need state support or some state um, equity injection in there. How does the government ensure? Sure. How does the government ensure that the supports that it's the financial supports that it's currently offering to businesses and individuals and um, don't just become a bit of a money pit? How do they actually ensure that? that you know, uh, they can wean businesses and individuals off these and that they don't just become a, an artificial support for a lot of these companies? Uh, look, and I, and I think that's actually uh, a reverse for the private sector as well. Um, the too much involvement from the state for too long as well is not, it's not healthy for a vibrant private sector. So, you know, again, see this as a temporary emergency measure and there needs to be um, a fairly short window, possibly a year to a year and a half when these supports need to be there. But the government needs to be as aggressive in withdrawing the supports as it is appealing it to be aggressive in the injection of them. And I think those involved have to understand that, that if, if you can't get your business up and running in a year and a half, then fundamentally it's the market's way of saying it's not sustainable. What about increased taxes, Danny? Is that... Is that on the agenda? I think so, Kieran. I do think we will see um, taxes will have to be part of the equation in terms of paying back what has been the injection into uh, households over this period because effectively in this hibernation phase, the state is providing a life support or certainly a lifestyle support to uh, both businesses and to the employees, and, and that's what a state should do. Uh, but then, clearly, it needs to be a repayment back uh, along the lines. And so these injections, I think, will have to be paid back over time. So taxes will need to go up. But what we really need, and we said this prior to the pandemic, we need a new commission on taxation. We need to change the way our tax model works. And the other feature of where I think taxation will come into it, it may not be called tax or income tax, I think the social insurance, which is effectively what we're talking about here, society insuring against events, I think the insurance model and, and income protection, I think that debate will really take off uh, once we get settled down. So in other words, as a rich Western European society, I think a lot of people have been shocked when something happens to them and that all they might, all that they might be offered is a dole payment, which in this case is temporary at 350, but actually the long-term dole rate is currently about 203 euros that, you know, you may be on 50, 60, 80, 100,000 a year and all you will get from the state is pretty much the same as anybody else who was on 15 or 20,000 euros a year. I think that's a wake-up call for a whole generation. We never have to go near the welfare system that we don't have an income protection model, we've got a poverty alleviation model. And I think people might be more inclined to take their wages in the form of a social insurance. And I think we will see a push for that. But that will be the, the real trick for us here will be, can we keep our competitive, liberal, Anglo-Saxon type model, but take some of the better features of the Scandinavian model, as it's sometimes called, and have a flex security Irish style into the future. Danny, when do you think the restrictions should be lifted by the government? This is the pandemic restrictions. Um, 
Well, first of all, I don't think it's going to be any big bang, so we're going to have to let uh, people back. Clearly, the wisdom of Solomon is here. The, the only reason at this point, it seems to me, this is a kind of a, a bold statement, the only reason that we should be contemplating restrictions going further than, to, you know, at the moment we're up to uh, Easter then beyond, would be if there really is a genuine fear that we'd have a second wave, a second outcome, because opening up too soon and then having to go back through it again would be really devastating. So I think business people will realize if we can get some confidence that the public health crisis is becoming manageable on its pressure on the health system, and that'll have to be called by the experts, it's as crucial to know the how we're going to do it as the when. And so how we're going to do it is definitely going to be sequential. We're not going to see everybody come back at once. And indeed, that probably helps mitigate the risk of a second outbreak that become unmanageable in the future. So some businesses are going to have to put up with the fact that this is going to go on for quite a number of months for those involved in the services side. If you can do it from home, I think we would do it for a lot longer. But we have to allow those that can't do their work from home back into the society and fairly quickly. So I'd hope to see some progress in the next two weeks. Yeah, because Pat McCann was on the show last week, Pat McCann, Chief Executive of the Ladder Hotels, and his view was that the restrictions aren't going to be lifted in any meaningful way, certainly for his industry, before September. Yeah, no, Pat, uh, Pat, first of all, he's the president of Ibex, so I definitely have to get in line behind what Pat says. Um, but the... Um, Pat's, Pat's right in terms of the hospitality. I think Pat was actually referring as well to um, the last of his own experience in terms of what he would anticipate occurring. I think hospitality, as you said earlier on, is going to be one of the slower recoverers from this, given the nature of the crisis and the international travel dimension. But in terms of manufacturing, uh, there are companies closed today who probably regret their decision. Uh, because they can social distance, but because what they're doing may not be essential, as in a health emergency essential, they'll be observing that their competitors in other jurisdictions who are opening up faster than we potentially will do so, will have a competitive advantage and maybe be able to capture market share. And you'll see that pressure begin to emerge. So it's important that the government actually has a conversation about the how we're going to open up. The question about when can be in the hands of the call for the medics to take, but we definitely need to know the how, because the experience we had when they, on the Friday night, when we had the when we were closing down more aggressively, we were left for quite a while to know the how. So we had a whole day before we knew what was going to be essential services, what was what was going to be allowed function. We can't allow those kind of gaps to develop in the future. It erodes credibility. And it leads to a whole a lot of insecurity for businesses and their employees that, frankly, is unnecessary. What's the other experience, Danny? Have you had to lay any people off temporarily? Is everybody working remotely? How are you figuring this out? Yeah, so we've got 100%, um, uh, 100% remote working now. Uh, we have the capacity, if we need to, um, because we need to communicate with our members. So... Well, we might not be an essential service. We are essential service to a lot of essential services to get the message out there and to get a kind of a unity of purpose. So we have a few essential workers that if they need to, to go back in. 
Uh, our business model is fairly robust going into it. So right now we're, we're all still fully working remotely. So we haven't had to make any job cuts uh, or any wage uh, cuts at this point. But again, and I think this is important, again, each individual company's natural reaction will be to retrench and to hold on to cash. That's perfectly natural response, a bit like the household thinking, we need to hoard goods that might not be there next week. It'll be important for business collectively, though, to deal with this problem as it is. It's a cash problem. And if the authorities are going to do, which they are said they're going to do, is flood the market with liquidity, there's no point getting it out there, getting down the right channels just for the receiver to take it and not push it on to their suppliers, to their creditors, the debtors, the creditors. So it's going to be a, it's going to be an act of bravery from all businesses to kind of do it against their instincts. But if, they, if we don't pass on the cash to each other and continue trading, we, we as a business community will actually compound the problem and create a further recession for longer than is necessary. And finally, Danny, at European level, we still don't have agreement on the recovery plan or, you know, what big bazooka, precisely what big bazooka should be employed to tackle this crisis. Um, the, it feels as there's a bit of a lack of uh, leadership. Should Europe be doing more on this front? Yeah, of course it should. But um, it's a bit like the game of freeze uh, in the schoolyard. You know, this is what we're trying to do. If everybody froze forever in the game, five, ten seconds, uh, and all we resume again. The game was was being played perfectly. What we have though is people moving, getting trying to get some advantages, whatever they may be, and so the whole thing unravels. And I think that's what's happening at a European fiscal level. The ECB's instincts seem to be right on this occasion, in no small part to our uh, co-patriot um, Philip Lane, who's very dominant, I would argue, in, in this particular crisis. Uh, so the instincts of the ECB, I think, are right on this occasion in contrast to the, the last crisis. But unfortunately, the lack of coordination in our uh, fiscal uh, structure is becoming exposed again. And I think that's got a long-term harm. And you see it also in the lack of coordination on just the physical uh Social distancing, who's closing schools, who's not closing schools, it really would have helped Europe collectively to be coordinated, not just on the fiscal policy, but also would help us immensely if we were coordinated on the the health, social restrictions, the type of things are closed down, and actually to open up at approximately the same time as well. As I said earlier on, the opening up in different jurisdictions is putting huge pressures on some businesses to perhaps open up faster then the state might be willing to allow them. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to leave it there on, on that note uh, for this week from Inside Business. We'll see how this uh, plays out sometime, probably before uh, restrictions will begin to be lifted, but we'll see how it goes after the Easter break. Uh, my thanks to Danny McCoy of IBEC for joining us. Declan Conlon produced and edited the show from his home in Calester. Uh, remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can still follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care, stay home and stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 